0: Hi, and welcome to the Mount Hamilton Baptist Church podcast. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. For more information, go to mhbc.ca. Well, as we turn to looking at God's word together today, I want to tell you a little story about something that I think a lot of us would love to have happen to us. And what happened was there was a man and he was walking along a beach one day and he tripped and he discovered an old lamp. And you guessed it, when he picked it up, a genie came out. So the genie stood before him, and as genies do, he said, you have freed me from my lamp, and now I'm offering you three wishes. However, he said, my wishes come with a clause. Whatever you wish for, your ex-wife will receive double. (laughs) So the man began, okay, he said. I would like to be incredibly rich. And sure enough, with the snap of the genie's fingers, all around the man were jewels and stocks and bonds and piles of cash. But miles away, at the feet of his ex-wife, tons of money, even more, twice as much money and jewels and investments. Well, said the man, um, for my next wish, I would like to be really good looking. So snapped his fingers and sure enough the man, every flaw, every blemish went away. He was like an Adonis, absolutely gorgeous. But at the same time, his wife discovered she'd become even more beautiful, the most beautiful woman in the world. And so then the genie said, well you've wished well, you have one more wish. And the man said, scare me half to death. We're going to look at a different story of someone... Did it take some of you a minute? (laughs) That's a made-up story. We're going to look... (laughs) We're going to look at a real story of a time that someone had something happened that may seem kind of like a genie and a magic lamp. When before them stood someone saying, You can ask for whatever I want, and I will give it to you. The difference being the person, well, the being before them was God, and this story is true. And I'm gonna ask Kathleen to come and read it for us. Some of you may have had a chance
1: to read Kathleen. She's moved back to Hamilton last fall, and we're delighted to have gotten to know her here. Okay, good morning. I'm reading from Second Chronicles chapter one, verses one to fourteen from the NIV. Solomon, son of David, established himself firmly over his kingdom, for the Lord his God was with him and made him exceedingly great. Then Solomon spoke to all Israel, to the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, to the judges and to all the leaders in Israel, the heads of families, and Solomon and the whole assembly went to the high place at Gibeon, for God's tent of meeting was there, which Moses, the Lord's servant, had made in the wilderness. Now David had brought up the ark of God from kiriath Jearim to the place he had prepared for it, because he had pitched a tent for it in Jerusalem. But the bronze altar that Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, had made was in Gibeon, in front of the tabernacle of the Lord. So Solomon and the assembly inquired of him there. Solomon went up to the bronze altar before the Lord in the tent of meeting, and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. That night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered God, you have shown great kindness to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father, David, be confirmed, for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people for who is able to govern this great people of yours? God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire and you have not asked for wealth, possessions or honor, nor for the death of your enemies, and since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given you and I will also give you wealth, possessions, and honor, such as no king who was before you ever had, a nun after you will have. Then Solomon went to Jerusalem from the high place at Gibeon, from before the tent of meeting, and he reigned over Israel. Solomon accumulated chariots and horses, for he had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses, which he kept in the chariot cities and also with him in Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you.
0: So a bit of a different scenario, right? Um, and this story's interesting. So it starts with a man named Solomon who had just become king of Israel. And this is thousands of years ago. In fact, Solomon is only the third king of Israel. The First king was named Saul, um, and he stopped being king when he was no longer following God. God had removed him. And the next king was David. And David was known as a very good king, a very godly king, still considered the best king of Israel. And David was Solomon's father. And now Solomon has become king. But Solomon has not become king without some uh, political upheaval. What we read has happened just before this is that Solomon's brother Adonijah, he had already set himself off as king. David hasn't died yet, and he said, "He said I'm going to be the king." And then Solomon's mother and Solomon's mother and David's advisors realize this has happened, and they go to make sure Solomon can be actually become king because David had chosen Solomon to be king. We believe God had chosen Solomon to be king, and Solomon was a little bit of a strange choice to be the next king. He wasn't David. David's firstborn. Usually we know the firstborn becomes the king. And Solomon had been born um, in a really controversial circumstance. Some of you may know the story that David, who remember was this really good king, had this time when he blew it badly. And he'd had an affair with a woman. Her name was Bathsheba. And when she grew pregnant to try and cover up that affair, he arranged for Bathsheba's husband to die. He had him killed. He was a soldier and he arranged for him to die in battle. Um, And then, Uh, when uh, this child that was born of Bathsheba then died, but Bathsheba's next child, David then married her, her next child was Solomon. And so this is the family line that God uses to be the next king, which is really interesting. Um, And of course David very much repented of this and said I shouldn't have done this, and now God's redeeming this whole story, which could be like another whole six sermons. But Solomon is this next king. And so he's already coming to this kingship when things are a little bit, you know, that has been a little bit of a tense time. And so he says, we need to go and seek God. And so they go to this high place called Gibeon, it's seven miles outside Jerusalem. And this is a place where they would worship and it's where the tabernacle that the Jews had used when they were in the wilderness, that's where they had worshiped in the wilderness. The temple's not built yet, because Solomon is gonna build the temple. So he goes there to seek God. It says he offers a thousand burnt offerings. That's a lot of offerings. That's a lot of blood being spilt. So many offerings, in fact, that some wonder if this is even hyperbole, right? He's like, and he offered so many offerings. But we see this great humility before God. And after he does this, he has a dream, and God speaks to him in the dream. And this wouldn't be a weird thing, this wouldn't have been sort of like, well, it was just a dream. At the time, people believed very much that dreams were one of the ways God spoke. God spoke through prophets, God spoke through dreams, and this is what God is doing. And in the dream, God says, what do you want I mean, it almost sounds like that genie moment, right? (laughs) Like, it's God in front of you saying, you can have whatever you want. And he actually could have asked for money. He could have asked for, you know, fame. He could have asked for power. He could have asked for more wishes. Just kidding. That's the whole thing. But he says, he says, I want wisdom. Give me wisdom and knowledge to govern my people well. And this is a really good ask, it makes sense. Solomon's task in front of him is a hard one. Um, On one hand, as we've said, there's already been all this stuff going on. We also think that Solomon was quite young. Some argue that he was as young as 12, but more often we think maybe around the 20 mark. But he was young to become king. And at this time, kings also served as like judges And people would bring difficult circumstances and ask the king to make a ruling. So you needed them to be wise. And if you know more about Solomon, you know that he went on to be known for being exceptionally wise. People would come to him with problems. And of course, this is a big nation. He even says it, he's like, this is a nation where people are as numerous as the dust on the shore, right? Which had been God's promise. So he's got a big task in front of him. Asking for wisdom makes a lot of sense. Don't we all wish for leaders that want wisdom above all else? Don't we see how valuable wisdom would be? And God is so pleased with this request, so pleased, um, that he says, you know, this is such a great thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to just bless you beyond measure as well. And if you go on and read, this absolutely does happen to Solomon. He is known for being exceptionally wise. He does have great wealth and so many other things. Now today, the reason I chose this story is for a couple of weeks, we're going to be, we are, we were last week and we will next week, talking about vision. Um, Because I just kind of couldn't resist uh, the urge that, you know, so many other pastors have also fallen victim to of playing up this idea that it's 2020, right? It's the year 2020, it's a new year, it's hard not to think about vision. And last week I talked about uh, the story of Jacob, and you can hear that on our website online, and I talked about how vision, ironically, actually when God gives it to us is rarely 2020. We rarely see everything perfectly in front of us. God leads us step by step. And today we have another vision. It's a dream, but it's another vision of God. And I wanna talk about what we learn about vision for us because we are people, I believe, that long for vision. We might not always use that word, but people often come and say, I don't know what to do about this, or I feel stuck in this scenario, or what should be my next step, and what we're asking for is vision for God's leading, and it might not seem like what we have is important as leading a whole nation, but we're not so different from Solomon, facing a difficult situation and saying, God, just just speak to me. Tell me what to do, and it's interesting that when Solomon has this vision, his response is to ask for wisdom, and so I wanna talk about wisdom and its role with vision today, and what wisdom is and why it is so important. So let's talk about wisdom. Um, I gave you a handout while our lovely Usher's gave you a handout on the way in. And we're gonna look at this and we're gonna look at lots of verses. So um, it should be an insert. that just says wisdom on one side. And there's so many great verses about wisdom. I thought you might want to bring this home and look at them throughout the week. Maybe you wanna put it on your fridge and read a verse a day because it's interesting how much the Bible has to say about the value of wisdom. There's so many here. Let me read some to you. In Ecclesiastes, wisdom is better than strength. In Proverbs 8:11, wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. In Proverbs 3:13, blessed is the one who finds wisdom. Proverbs 6:16, 6, how much better to get wisdom than gold, to get insight rather than silver. And if we jump to the New Testament, Ephesians, be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And the Bible teaches us that wisdom is so important. Uh, There are books of wisdom in the Bible. We call them the wisdom literature. We have Ecclesiastics, Psalms, and we consider Proverbs, that genre of of, um, scripture. We've talked this before, the Bible has different genres. Some are more like historical books, some are letters. Uh, Proverbs, we say, is wisdom. It's a collection of wise saying, many of which we believe were written down by Solomon. So there's all this stuff said in the Bible saying wisdom is so important you should desire her. In fact, in Proverbs, wisdom is talked about like a woman that you should long for. She's always talked about as a she, it's really interesting. Some of us women are like, clearly, just kidding. But anyway, (laughs) it's interesting that it's talked about like this thing we would seek after, it's so something we would desire. Um, but what actually is it, right? we say, okay, great, yeah, it's a good thing, what is it? Well, let me first of all say what it's not. And you're going to see a slide up here of what it's, a couple of reminders of what it isn't. Wisdom isn't the same as being smart. Wisdom isn't education. It isn't intelligence. It isn't a lot of information. In fact, people can be very smart and not be very wise. And you probably know that to be true. Wisdom isn't just what you feel good about. Sometimes we, uh, we equate wisdom with like, I feel really good about that, so I think that's the wise choice because like, I feel it felt good. Now, this is where um, I think there's a concept that's used actually in a form of therapy that's really helpful. And we have a couple of wonderful therapists in our church that use a type of therapy called dialectical behavior therapy. Some of you might know it. And from them, I've learned quite a bit about a concept that fits so well in here. And it's the concept of the three minds, which is a great illustration here. And they talk about, um, they invite people. This therapy is usually used with people who struggle with anxiety, depression, Uh, various personality disorders and things like that. People who maybe struggle to sometimes get to the next step. Which of course generally applies to all of us. (laughs) And so uh, they talk about three types of minds. Our emotion mind, our reasonable mind, and our wise mind. So let's look at each of these for a minute. And I think it ties in really well. So first the emotion mind which again you'll see here. So emotion mind is a mind is when we make decisions based on what feels good or sometimes what feels bad, right? So I'm angry, so I'm going to hit somebody. I'm really mad, so that's why I did that. Or I really think this is what I feel like doing, so I should do that. Or sometimes the anger thing is because it feels good because when we're mad and we scream at somebody, that kind of feels good in the moment, right? So we do that. Emotion mind uh, thinks and focuses on our emotions and it's often reactive or defensive. So emotion mind is when we let our emotions guide us. Emotion mind leads to us putting on smart things on social media sometimes. It leads to us getting in conflict. It sometimes leads us to jump in when we could pause. I know that for me, my emotion mind is often very connected to my hungry body. I don't know about you, but often if I'm hungry or if I'm frustrated or if I'm tired, I find that I can jump in when maybe I shouldn't. On the complete opposite end of the spectrum, this type of therapy talks about reasonable mind. Reasonable mind, on the next slide, tells us that de- reminds us that decisions are based on what makes intellectual sense. It thinks logically, it focuses on facts, and it suppresses or ignores emotions. Now, we might say, well, that's a good thing. You know, it can be a really good thing to focus on logic, on reason. Um, but This is kind of what reasonable mind looks like. Maybe you know these characters, some of them, if we go to the next slide. These are examples of reasonable mind (laughs) only. So if you've ever watched the TV show House, maybe some of you, that's an example. He's a really smart doctor. He can figure out anything. He's a jerk, right? He has terrible relationships. He doesn't make decisions that actually care about people's full well-being. Or maybe you like Sherlock Holmes. All reason, mind, right? All very like, this is the logical thing. That's what we should do. Why would feelings matter? And so reasonable mind can also be dangerous. Um, One of the examples I was told that I think is excellent is the example of the Ford Pinto. So apparently when the Ford Pinto was released, they discovered that if it rear-ended people or was rear-ended, that it would explode. That's bad. So after a couple of people died, Apparently, the Ford company got together. I don't know if this would have been accountants or analysts. And they did some math. And they figured, they decided not to recall them because the recommendation was that it was, it would be more expensive to recall every vehicle than it would be to deal with a few wrongful death lawsuits. That's horrible, right? You don't like that. That's reasonable mind, (laughs) right? That's when you only look at only the math, less money this way. But that's not good, is it? Right, we need our emotions. So in this type of therapy, it reminds us that we need to use our wise mind, and the image of it here is that they overlap on the next slide. So they overlap, and so you see that they use, they take both into account. So we're going to go to the next slide, say. He's trying to give me emotion here. What's (laughs) is it stuck? It's stuck, okay. So if you can picture, we'll just look at house and scratch for a while there. Um, if you can picture sort of like a Venn diagram where they overlap, we want both and we want wise mind. Wise mind takes both into account. So let me give you examples. Reasonable mind, let's say you decide you're going to start working out. Reasonable mind wakes up in the morning and says, I should go work out, it is good for my body. Emotion mind says, I don't want to do that, I'm going to stay in bed. Ooh, that's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Wise mind says, I cannot like this, and not want to do it, and I can do it, right? Reaction mind, maybe you get like in a fight in a parking lot, maybe you have someone takes your parking spot. Emotion mind says, you should go and tell them off, you should yell at them, you should scream at them, right? uh, Excuse me, and then reasonable mind may say, that is a very reasonable thing to do, they took your spot, you can justify this entirely. Wise mind says, what would actually be wise here? What's my long-term goal? As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, what are the values that I have that I want to live out in this moment? And so they can be very different. But what I think is fun, so remember this is all a therapy concept, is it's totally biblical. All truth is God's truth. There's nothing new under the sun. And so this invitation to seek wisdom is so much what God has for us. And this language, I think, is a helpful way to understand it. Wisdom then, when we actually say what it is, I think is our ability to see God's leading in a situation and act on it when we incorporate our values and our learnings and what God has for us into good decision-making. So let me give a couple points about what wisdom then is and some of these verses you'll see on your slides. Wisdom then isn't hurried Wisdom isn't reactive, wisdom doesn't jump in. Wisdom can take its time. Let me uh, give you an example, some of the readings again that are here. And I forgot the sheet, so forgive me while I turn to each of the uh, actual verses here. Proverbs twenty nine eleven reads, Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. Oh, that's a good one, eh? Fools bring full vent to the rage. And how often do we do that? But I was so angry. Oh, we can go to the, is the slides back? Yeah, we can go to the next one. This is what wisdom is in the next slide. Um, So it's unhurried. And so it's something that can actually wait. We don't need to jump in to justify ourselves. We don't need to jump in to prove that we're right. We don't need to just react immediately. And I struggle with this too. But wisdom can take its time. In fact, if you take nothing else from this sermon, if you can say, from hence this year, my goal will be to wait 24 hours before I respond to an angry tweet, Facebook message, or email. I think we could change the world, my friends. (laughs) That could be powerful. Wisdom listens to the perspective of others. And so this is, it's amazing how much this is said in the Proverbs and Scripture, these voice of wisdom. Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Proverbs 13.1 says a wise son heeds his father's instruction but a mocker does not respond to rebukes. Proverbs 1.7 says the fear oh sorry that's not the one I want That's us save next. So all the point here is that we as when we are wise we are people who are able to hear others perspectives and often the sign that we are not being wise is when we say well I don't care what everyone else thinks it feels good to me and we've all done it. It's almost certain that you're not seeking wisdom in that moment. Now, the tricky thing is, again, especially on social media, you can always find people that will agree with you. You can find the five people that will agree with everything you say. You can put a nasty post on Facebook about how awful your neighbor is, and you can have 30 people go, they're the worst. You should go tell them off. My invitation would be go look and see who's responding. Are the people whose wisdom you trust pressing the like button? Are they kind of ignoring it? One of the things we want to do is seek the people who have wisdom in the areas we're looking for. One of the things I remember is years ago, a friend of mine was looking for her first apartment and she was way in debt, she just graduated school, and she decided she wanted to buy all new furniture. She went and spent like $4,000 on new furniture. And my husband and I are like, what are you doing? And we'd been trying to kind of help this person like get on their feet and see this. And she said, well, you know, I was talking to my father and he said, you know, I just finished school and it's nice to start on the right foot and I should buy new furniture. And I still remember saying, your father just declared bankruptcy, literally. Is that the person to listen to about your financial advice, right? You love them, it's great. But maybe this isn't an area that they're wise. And so we need to be discerning about the voices we're listening to. The other two things that I think are so important and that we must remember as we are followers of God is that true wisdom will align to God's word. Wisdom will not tell you to cheat on your spouse. Wisdom will not tell you to scream at somebody. God's word will align with what we are called to do. In James 3.17, listen to how it describes what wisdom will look like how we will recognize wisdom. Wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Isn't that beautiful? That wisdom is pure, that wisdom seeks peace, that wisdom is considerate, that it submits to others, it has mercy, it's sincere. And that's why wisdom starts with God, which is the verse I meant to read earlier, that Proverbs 9.10 says, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now here's the tricky thing. Those of us, most of us in this room, I know not all of you uh, follow God or consider yourselves Christians, but those of us who do believe that wisdom does start with God, but the interesting thing is that godly wisdom will often be in complete contrast to what the world will say is wise. And scripture names that in 1 Corinthians, and that verse is also, I believe, on your handout. When it says, (laughs) I'm flipping a lot here, forgive me. In 1 Corinthians 1 and, what verse did I put down? I think I did uh, 20. 20, where, I could do the whole chapter, I just wanna read the same one. Where is the wise person, where is the teacher of the law, where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of the world, since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. And so it's naming here that this really foolish thing, the cross, is what has saved us, which seems completely illogical. But it names that what will seem wise in the world will often uh, be foolish to us, and what will seem wise to those who follow Christians will often seem like foolishness to the world. And there's so many examples of that. One of those I keep using is reacting in anger over violence. The world will tell us, you know, you need to jump in, you need to make right, you know, get what's owed you. And Jesus says, turn the other cheek, and we believe that's wisdom. Sometimes we will choose doing what's right instead of getting ahead. I remember years ago doing this Bible study with this group of teens, and we had these little scenarios, and I said, well, let's say someone in your class finds a copy of a test with all the answers on it, and they're all going to use it. Should you use it? And all of them except one went, no, because, you know, the pastor's there. And one went, yeah, yes. And it was so interesting. He was like, but if everyone else is using it, why wouldn't I use it? I'm going to get, I'll be behind, they'll get a leg up. That's true. That's actually true, right? If they didn't use it, they would be disadvantaged. That seems like foolishness because the wisdom of God can look like foolishness. Sometimes it looks foolish that we give so much of our money away and we, use, we can use different examples of this. And I don't say this to both. I think we just need to hear examples of people to do it. Since I was 20, I gave away 10% of my income and always try to give more. We have been audited 10 times because they never believe that we give away what we give away. It looks like foolishness. It looks like foolishness, but yet somehow God has always looked after us. How how the world teaches about sexuality and what it means to fulfill our sexual needs, what it teaches about getting ahead, what it teaches about how we treat others, so many of those things are going to look different, look like wisdom, but what we say are gonna look like foolishness, but yet it will be the wisdom of God. The interesting thing is uh, that all of this is part of vision. Because vision's when we're looking for leading, because you might be like, I thought we were talking about vision. I'll even talk about wisdom. Wisdom is when we're looking, vision is when we're looking for leading and Solomon wanted that leadership from God. He wanted vision from God, which for him, he recognized would start with wisdom. And that in each situation now, God would lead him. So he wouldn't need a dream from God every time he needed a next step, right? He would now be able to have God's wisdom with each step. And the truth is we need wisdom and we know that. And we're going to have situations in our lives where all the right information won't be enough. We won't be able to make a pro and con chart. It will be too complicated. Where our emotions will not be trusted. So I've asked for permission to tell this story. Um, and some of you know James Bowick, he's sitting at the back, he looks not unlike Santa. And James, um, was born with a very rare heart condition and when he was born, he received a surgery and he was the first, one of the first in the world to receive that surgery. Until that point, most people died quite young with that condition that James has. And so a few years ago, seven years ago, James was in the situation where what had been done to his heart to fix it wasn't working anymore, but there was no one else alive in the entire world that had lived that long. And so the doctors were like, we don't actually know what to do next because we've not been in this situation before. And James was presented the option of, well, we could do a transplant. We could get your heart transplant. And there's a lot of issues with that. It will be a really long recovery for you. It's high risk. The surgery is high risk. But if it works, it would give you more years of life. But you'd likely be a year laid up and the surgery itself is really high risk. The other thing is we can keep doing what we're doing. We can try some of the various treatments we're doing and, you know, kind of see what happens, and we think that would give you five to seven years. It was seven years ago. So I remember this, James and I went on this journey together among with many of our church. Do you know what, there's no pro and con list that helps that, is there? That's a big choice. Do I risk dying now that I might have a few more years? Do I enjoy five to seven, relatively healthy manageable years. And I remember hearing different responses to that. And of course, a uh, reasonable mind would simply say, "Well, you just do what gives you the most time." And that's what the medical community will often say, right? You'll get a few more months this way, so that's the right answer. And then reasonable and then emotion mind might say the same thing too. I remember talking this with someone and they said, "Well, clearly they he's going to do the transplant that would give him more time." But James actually sought wisdom in a great way. He actually gathered a whole group of people, there was about 20 of us there, and he did something called a wisdom circle, and he asked people, I can talk about that more another time, but he asked everyone to like, listen to his story and help him listen to what was right for him. And he ultimately decided not to do a heart transplant and to go with that other procedure. Now I didn't know this, I called him yesterday to say could I tell the story, and he said, by the way, I saw my doctor last week. It's been seven years, James is sitting here, if you haven't noticed. And uh, <laughs> and she said, and we don't get this very often in life, she said, you know what, you made the right decision seven years ago. That was the right choice. Even the doctors didn't know the right choice. There's going to be times in your life where you need wisdom, which is so much different than information. When you are facing like a medical crisis, do I keep doing the cancer treatment or is it time to stop? When you're facing real decisions, do I marry them or do I admit they're not the right person? Or is how do I know? Do I change this job? Do I move? Do I buy this house? Do I start this ministry? What university do I go to? And there'll be a whole list of right options. And what you'll need is wisdom. That's what Solomon needed. And the great, great news is this promise of God. And it's found in the book of James. And it is also on your handout. And it reads, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. That's good, right? (laughs) I lack wisdom. I always need wisdom. We all lack wisdom. But if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who will give it to you. That's a good promise. And so my prayer for us as a church is that as we are people seeking vision, that we will ask for wisdom. Wisdom to lead us step by step. Wisdom that seeks the insight of scripture, that listens to the voice of wise people in our lives, that is patient, that is willing to listen, that is willing uh, to seek that purity of heart that scripture talks about. Wisdom that can take in the value of our emotions which God's given us and our brains which God has given us and can lead us in the way that God will lead us step by step by step. It's good news, right? And God will give it to us. And so as we continue today, what I'm gonna ask us to do is I'm gonna invite you to take a moment of silence, we've done this a bit last week, and to picture something in your life where you need wisdom, where you're like, I am stuck. And when we've done that, we're going to pray a prayer of wisdom together which will come on your screen, asking for wisdom. Just asking God to give us wisdom and seeking that. And if you're looking for wisdom, some uh, things you might wanna do in this new year are that you could continue to read, look at those Bible verses, reflect on it. I invite you that this week you could pray that prayer, it's on that handout every day. Another practice you could use, my husband grew up doing this entire life, and I actually think he's very wise, is as a family, they, would want, they read one proverb every day of the month, there's 31 proverbs. So each day they would read together a proverb. That's a neat practice, right? To remind you of wisdom, to hear that truth of what it means to be wise. Let's be silent together and think about that area where you're like, God, just help me be wise.